Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business as People podcast. Julie, welcome back. Very excited for you to talk about a topic I think a lot of people are not so happy to talk about because people were preparing to do some live events or hybrid events, but now it looks like we're going back to the trend of full virtual. We're seeing even major events like the CES show where major brands like Apple and Google are, are declining to go live. So, you know, you are our guru, Julie Migliacci, who is the co-founder at Revent, specializing in all types of events, especially you've been doing hybrid events before hybrid events were a thing. And now we're talking about virtual events. So today we want to talk about how do we get people to prepare themselves to just create a really great experience for virtual events? How can they transition if they were doing something live? or hybrid, or they want to start virtual, but let's just everything virtual. So like for our listeners, let's get them prepared and at least, you know, not freaking out that everything's all lost. So welcome back, Julie. Thank you. And not everything is lost. Virtual is still great. So it's not less than, but yeah, it's definitely the trend right now. Since the new year, we've seen a lot of clients that were either planning to do a full in-person, go to full virtual or Hopefully they had already a hybrid model situated and then we're able to transition to virtually a lot easier because we were already set up to be virtual to go originally just more in a hybrid format. So yeah, no, virtual doesn't have to be less than. It's actually can be equal to, if not better. I think I've used this analogy with you and I stole it from somebody else, a wonderful gentleman named Kevin White. I'll give him the credit about the great analogy of the Olympics, which is the ultimate hybrid event. So you have the people that go to the Olympics. They're sitting in the stands. They're feeling the water splash on their face from the pool. They're screaming. They're enjoying the energy and the moment of being at the Olympics. And then you have your virtual audience, which is everybody that's watching from home, where you're able to see close-ups of the swimmer's skin. You're able to see real-time stats of what's happening you could jump in real time between stadiums and see different sporting events and do things that the in-person audience can't do because they have tickets for this one event. So that's the ultimate hybrid experience. And really the point of it is that the virtual experience is just as great, it's just different. And I think when you're looking to do a virtual event, whether it's hybrid or full virtual, it's about taking advantage of the virtual elements that you can't have in person and using those to your benefit. And that's gonna help you have a successful virtual event without question. So, you know, definitely one of the big advantages of virtual is that you are no longer stuck in time and space. So you don't have to travel to a location, you don't have to get on a plane, you don't have to do all these things. So you're able to get a much wider audience very, very quickly because it relieves that tension. Also, because again, timing doesn't matter as much, you can spread out your event over longer days. You can do on-demand content so people can go and watch it at their leisure. You could do all those things that could make an event a lot more engaging and just different than an in-person event, but still can get a lot of information out to your attendees. What about like cost efficiency? Is it just cost efficient as a hybrid or a live event? So the full virtual event tends to be the cheapest of the three event models. So if you have a small budget and you're like, 
should I do a full in-person? Should I do a hybrid? Should I do a full virtual? Full virtual is where you're going to get the best value because it's a lot less expensive. You don't have a venue to pay for. You don't have an AV crew to pay for. Everything's in the cloud, for lack of a better word. And it's the most cost-effective. The most expensive of the three models is the hybrid model because you have the full cost of the virtual event. You have the full cost of the in-person event. So the venue, the catering, the AV, all those things still happen. And in the middle of that, you're going to also add a camera crew. So that tends to be the most expensive. However, you could still charge a ticket for your virtual audience. You could still make money from the virtual experience. So often that will cover the cost or whatever the additional cost for a hybrid is. For those who've never done a virtual event or they've mm-hmm. heard about it, and it's, you know, it's somewhat fairly new, even though it's only been a couple of years people have started to embrace it and try it out. Like how involved is it? And like, who is it rightful? Someone might say, you know what? I can't do this. I don't have the the bandwidth or the knowledge or the budget, but you know, like, I, I think this could be something available to nonprofits, smaller businesses, to bigger businesses. So what's the myth? What's the reality of folks who are considering virtual events and how feasible is it for them to do it? It's feasible for anybody and it could be done within any budget. So I think the biggest myth that coming into the last two years, and I was guilty of this myth as well, is specifically for non-for-profits that you brought up. There was this idea that doing a virtual only fundraiser was going to be less than it was not going to give you your net return. Mostly because the standard practices for a fundraising event was that you invite people, you feed them, you booze them, and then you ask them for money. When you're doing it virtually, it's really hard to booze them and then ask them for money. (laughs) So the standard practice, and I was guilty of this as well, was like, don't do a virtual fundraiser. It's not going to work. Boy, were we all wrong as a collective. We've done, in the last few years, we've done over 50 fundraisers. And Tom, I kid you not, every single one of them has netted more money than their in-person equivalent. Every single one of them. All right. I'm dying to know like why, like, so what what was your findings? The, the, our unofficial findings, you know, we don't officially study these things, but Mm -hmm. our anecdotes was that people still want to support you. If they love what you're doing as a non-for-profit, they will show up and they will support you. And now you're no longer asking a huge time commitment for them. They don't have to get dressed up. They don't have to pay for tickets or they might start to pay for tickets, but like they don't have to get in their car. They don't have to schmooze for four hours. It's a lot easier of a process. Now they have to commit to a 30 to 45 minute window where they could still go have dinner with their family and they could still write you the check. They could still get their tax write up. They could feel good about themselves. They're helping an organization, all these things. I mean, we've seen organizations raise half a million dollars in 30 minutes. Yeah, we helped a a nonprofit as well a year ago. They've always had a wonderful live gala. They've asked us to do a virtual gala for them. And after the event, they said, this didn't work. This was horrible. The numbers were worse. However, they dug deeper, looked at the analytics. They came back and they said, actually, out of all of our events we've ever had, we've had the most attendance and we actually hit our goals. So I I think, you know, it comes down to also how you're reporting. This is all very important when you're setting expectations with clients that you're aligned on, like, what's the success look like for them? 
you know, especially if this is the first time they're doing a virtual event. So it's like, if they can't use a live events data and say, I expect That's the right. same results. They actually had more people. And because I think to your point, there's not a lot of time commitment. You might get more people coming on for 20 minutes to 30 minutes, and then they leave versus being at an event for a few hours. So you can get a higher quantity of folks who are donating. I mean, there's a lot of just variables in play. Maybe they're not spending the money to buy drinks and food so they can take that money and invest it and just support the cause. And it's very similar to sales where marketing teams are constantly trying to show that they're bringing in qualified leads, you know, quote unquote, qualified leads, MQLs, but then they don't buy. So then the sales team is like, these guys have no intent to buy. They weren't qualified. So you want to make sure you're bringing in qualified folks. So folks who are attending a virtual event, you know, they're being mindful in it, very intentional. I'm going to take the time to log in, sign in. So if they're attending, there's a good chance they're going to donate or participate or engage one way or another. So even if it's for 10 minutes and they're making the donation. So I think giving them the benefit of saving time in money, they can then give that savings to that organization. So I think there's a lot of newer like data out there that's going to be, you know, providing kind of like a case study around like why this is working, but there's so many variables in place. I think if you give people an opportunity to, you know, have an experience that meets them where they're at, because my wife said the same thing uh, all the time when she used to travel. She's like, I love the fact that I can just log in, attend an event with my peers and don't have to worry about hotel and flight. All the hoopla that goes around (laughs) it is gone. Like that's, that's huge. Leaving the kids. So I think there's a lot of benefits to virtual events and I think people just need to be open-minded to it. So what do you feel are other like potential myths about virtual events? It makes people lot, hesitant to, yeah, to do it. I think a lot of people have been to bad, specifically hybrid, I've been to bad hybrid events where it's a camera pointed at the stage and you're in essence as the virtual audience, you're just watching television. You're not given an opportunity to really engage back. You're isolated. So you're just a person watching. You're not given an opportunity to be part of the energy and the room. And that's often a mistake that people make when they're doing hybrid is that they really focus on the in-room audience. And then the web audience is an afterthought. Be like, oh, we're sending them a video stream. They can see what's happening. And there's so many little tricks that you can do to make sure that the web audience doesn't feel isolated, feels part of the energy and little things like, having the web audience chat be available to view on the screen in the room where the moderator on the stage at one point is like, let's see what our web audience is saying. And they bring up the chat and they encourage that kind of interaction. You're breaking that fourth wall. We also like to put a mic in the audience in the room so that we capture the clapping, we capture the laughter, we capture that energy that gets then related back to the web. You want to make sure that you take questions from the web audience, whether that's written or oral, depending on what kind of system you're using. Those are very important. And then the other part is creating a totally separate experience for the web audience. So using a platform where they have an opportunity to network together, where they can exchange business cards, where they could do some activities that aren't open to the in-room. The in-room, they get to have a glass of wine, they get to have dinner, what does the web people have to do together? How can they interact together outside of a chat box? And that's really important. And we'll create a better hybrid experience. 
And I think shake off a little bit of those like bad juju vibes that people think about virtual because <laughs> it can be a lot of fun. So those are you're, some little tricks. I mean, you're saying all the right things that where I've had some good experience to your examples there is having good engagement and then really having good experiences of providing people like to, to feel like there is some camaraderie, right? Because when you go to a live event, that's what it is as well. So what type of platforms are going to help folks get to that experience? Because I think there's so many out there and it's confusing. So what do you typically recommend, Julie? It depends on the person's budget. So a web streaming platform goes to free to if we really want to spend $200,000 on the platform alone, happy to go on that ride with you guys. So there's really a large window if depending on the type of event, if you're doing a really engaging event where it's meant to be super interactive, we're doing this for a company that does executive coaching, for example, we're probably going to use Zoom. Zoom with the right AV equipment in the room and everything, you could still have a really interactive two-way conversation that works and flows well with the right team around it. If you're doing more of a lecture style format where it's meant to be more of a marketing event, you have a little bit more money. I would recommend either PGI or webinar.net. They're highly brandable and customizable platforms where you could really get the look and feel of the in-person event on the web with the same color scheme, the same designs, all those things. And then on there, you can set it up so that specifically webinar.net, you could have a live Twitter scroll going on the platform. So people can be tweeting in the room and on the web and engaging with each other that way. So that's one option. And then there's the full conferencing platform, such as Social 27, Swoogo, Wuva, if you have a smaller budget, that gives you the full like virtual conference experience where there's a lobby. You can see people's business cards. You can schedule one-to-ones. There's games that can be played, all those things. So there's, you know, a hundred platforms out there and there's new ones that pop up every day. And it really depends on what you're trying to do and how much money you have to spend. Yeah, it can get overwhelming. I think if you can hone into achieving 80 or 90% of what you're trying to accomplish, you don't need all the bells and whistles of all those platforms. Yeah. So definitely consulting, you know, with the firm like yourself or other folks who've done it to understand, are we making the right investment in also not just monetary, but time into doing this the right way? to achieve the outcomes that we're looking for. 100%. And you know, how much analytics do you need from it? All these platforms each have their positives and negatives. So it's really looking at everything you're trying to achieve. What's the end goal of the event? And then figuring out what the right home is for you. You must have dealt with stakeholders who say, Julie, I still want to make a live event as much as Maybe the rest of the team says right now it's not the safest thing to do. So what would you advise someone who is in charge of creating this event experience, but leadership is not aligned and they're pushing back and says, no, we still need to figure out how to make a hybrid event or figure out how to do a live event, but also a virtual event. So now this event manager is spreading themselves thin, trying to appease their stakeholders, but it would just be more efficient and probably more profitable. They just did. A virtual event. So what type of recommendation, how do you coach someone to get leadership to align? That's a tough one. I think it depends how stuck leadership is. One trend that we're seeing, which we really love is a hybrid model, but more on the virtual side. So meaning that the majority of, let's say it's a conference, the majority of the conference is virtual. 
So you go to a virtual platform, you're engaging with the speakers virtually, all the content is available on demand or live, but all the content for the conference, all the lectures are online. And then what you do is at the end of each day in all your hub cities, so let's say it's a nationwide conference in New York, in Boston, in Chicago, LA, you do an in-person happy hour. So what that allows you to do is grab the benefit of being in person, which is that socializing, that it's harder to do online. And it gives them the opportunity to go and be with people. And the benefit of that is that it's a more cost effective. You're not renting a huge conference hall. You're not getting audio visual crews. You're not doing the whole shebang, but you get the benefit of in person. It's open to the people that want to go. So whether or not they don't want to travel, they can go to their little hubs or they don't want to expose themselves to a COVID risk, or they just don't want to, they can also skip it. It's not a mandatory part. And we find that to be a really great model to get the best of both worlds while keeping a very close eye on your bottom line. We do have another client. It's a not-for-profit. They're wonderful. They do great work. Their board wanted to do an in-person event this year. That was the directive, in-person, in-person, in-person. The date's been pushed back because things keep moving. And that's the risk that they're taking right now is that based on what's happening, they're going to have to continually push back the date of their event, which gives, you know, wariness to the attendees are not constantly changing dates. It changes the energy of the event, all those things. So with them right now, we just rescheduled it again. We're really pushing for them to do a hybrid model so that if things get a little nutty again, like let's say Omnicron part two, whatever next Marvel S car uh, character, they come up with the next variant comes around. And at the last minute, they're like, nobody bought tickets. Nobody bought tickets. And that's a problem. We're already set up for a virtual solution. We're set up for hybrid. We could still accommodate the people that do want to be in person. It might be a smaller group and not alienate the rest of their population, the rest of their potential supporters. And we can get them in a real hybrid model because we've already set it up that way. And worst case scenario, when you pivot to full virtual, we're already ready. It's already set up. We've already sold tickets, the whole thing. It's not like a scramble. It's done already. So prep for hybrid and just be ready to either pivot and tell your leadership if they're like, no, we don't want to do hybrid, that it's the smart move. And it's also the move that attendees are going to want. Why alienate people that want to participate if you don't have to? Give them an option, right? Or a safer alternative. So is there like a cadence in, in like communication? Because you also you don't want to lose attendees who already booked and say, oh, I'm just going to cancel one refund. So is there a particular cadence that you want to do so you're not too late or behind the eight ball? I think always charge for a virtual ticket you're still providing content entertainment, you should charge for it. If you're charging for in-person, you should charge for virtual. So that if you do have to make that switch, it's not a full refund. You're just transferring the ticket. I don't know if that answers your question, but that would be normally what we would do as far as communication is definitely transfer the ticket and then just be open with people. Be like, you know, because of changing variables, we decided to go full virtual. And it might also be happen a handful of times that people just didn't want to go in person yep. and giving them that option. And then the live event canceled because nobody wanted to come in person. They just wanted the flexibility and the ease of virtual. So yeah. you send an email to everyone and say, Hey, we, we yeah. have an option here. We can 
give you a refund or a lot of our attendees are designed to go virtual because the agenda itinerary. So I think it's just, it's also like, it's not a negative thing. I think it's how you position it because the goal of brands who are doing these events, they still want people to have a good time, right? So they're looking for people to connect. So you you have to also, if you're a potential attendee, you got to give those brands a little bit of a break because they're working hard to figure that out too. So, I mean, you live this, Julie. So what are some things behind the scenes that people don't see, but you you guys make it look easy, right? And you, you and I had this conversation offline about how like the, the little nuances of making these little changes can, is actually a big ripple effect. And people think it's so easy to do these little change requests, but there's a lot of planning and there's a lot of people behind the scenes to make these events be really beautiful and seamless. 100%. Yeah, with a virtual event, much more so than an in-person event, you really need to be like, our run of shows for virtual events are sometimes second by second. It's everything super outlined and detailed. So any little change is gonna impact the entire day. And people might not realize, but it has a huge impact versus an in-person event where it's like, it could be a little bit more casual and a little bit more loose because you can touch the other person and be able to pivot and change as needed. So that's one thing. We also do video production as part of our product offering. So, you know, create little sizzle reels, those types of things. When we're doing build outs for platforms as well, often clients will come to us and be like, hey, can you make that blue? And we're like, yes, but that's going to require hours of time to make that little switch. And it looks like it's an easy, like, nope, it is often not. It would be great if it was, if we just click a box and off we go. So, you know, when you're working with a virtual event planner or a videographer or anybody who's doing any sort of graphical work for you, it's really important to try to minimize the back and forth as much as possible. And we often ask our clients like, hey guys, can you run it by everybody show draft one to everybody and let them know that it's not final it's going to be changing because it's better to do a lot of changes at once than do one little minute change and then go back and then do little minute changes over time you want to get the bulk of the change done in one go and then your v2 will be a lot better and it's going to save you a lot of money and time as well yeah we're we're very similar in the fact that you know we usually try to get all the stakeholders to provide like their input, their feedback into one communication, like say through an email or if we're doing a meeting versus having like two people give feedback. And then three days later, one person, two days later, another person, because it slows down the production team who's building it. Right. And to give it like when you have to paint a wall for those who paint, whoever tried painting, it takes time to dry, but every time you're touching that wall, you're like, oh, I can't touch it. I got like, to prepare it. I got to sand it. And then I got to like paint it again. Oh, I need a different color. Can you change the color just a little bit? Well, now I have to paint the whole wall over or there's like bigger stuff. Maybe there's more technical stuff. Well, okay. Now I got to get behind the drywall to get to the studs, to get to the wiring. And then we put the wall back together. And then someone comes in and say, actually, I need, I need some more technical like, edits. So now you gotta rip that wall back down again. So like, it looks easy because the finished product looks beautiful. That's what a lot of people see. It's almost like a construction site. Video editing is similar. There's a lot of stuff behind the drywall that you don't see, but it looks yeah. beautiful and seamless, but there are so many people involved to make that look beautiful. So the tip that yeah. Julie and I are trying to say here is like, just really be mindful and supportive to your vendors and partners you're working with and try to really collectively come in and be 
cognitive and being thoughtful to put your ideas together and feedback together, constructive criticism. We all welcome it because we want this event and the outcome and output to be wonderful. So we also want the honest truth about how you feel about things, but it has to be organized in a way that doesn't slow down, you know, the workflow. Cause when people say, why is this taking so long or like, Hey, it feels rushed. It's because there were a lot of things led up to that wasn't communicated in a very proper fashion and timeline. And I know that you and I, the way we run our agencies here is we're very intentional. We say, please make sure you give us this by this day, collect everyone's thoughts and then get back to us. But then there's a method to the madness. It's 50% of the time it happens. The other 50% of the time they don't follow that. And then we say, well, now we have to push this out another four days. And like, why? I'm like, oh, well, remember when we said we need everyone's feedback by Tuesday, but you guys got it back to us on Friday. And we see it all the time. So we try to over-communicate, but I think a lot of people, even myself, I forget, right? So I have to be reminded. My wife reminds me stuff all the time. I have like stuff on the calendar for my kids, but it's just a crazy world. We're really busy. So the best thing I can recommend is just over-communicate in different formats, visual, verbal, written, people consume it and understand it all different ways. And hopefully we'll get there together. (laughs) 100%. I mean, it applies to everything in my world when we're doing a website build out, because often you're creating websites for these platforms, you know, the event date is January 13th, you can't push it back. So it's really, really important for us to communicate deliverables and have clients that understand the method behind the deliverables and to reduce the back and forth. Well, it's a day before the event is totally nutty. And often people end up being disappointed because you can't make changes once you're live. So but the reality of it too, I think is that most people might not even know the difference of those little nuances that didn't get done, right? Because sometimes when you're so close to it, you being the, the one providing the service, but also the company who's doing it, they have a vision in their head, but the attendees don't know what that is. No so clue. at the end of the day, it's okay if it's 70% there, because I think people don't know that they're 30% of certain things are missing. What's important yeah. is that the virtual event is navigational, meaning that it's easy to use because that's often where attendees will get frustrated. It's not that it's not the right shade of blue, that the box is a little bit to the right where it should be to the left, it is that it was hard to use. Those are the important aspects. You know, same with graphics and all these things. You want it to be visually pleasing and the attendee doesn't know what was in your head. So it's really just making sure that it's a seamless experience is the number one thing. And we tell clients sometimes when they want last minute changes, be like, when I have an event impact, we recommend against it. And it's not because we don't want to do it is that we know that making this little tiny change potentially could break bigger things and will result in a bad event experience for the attendees. And that's more important. So kind of like the 80, 20 rule. So at the end of the day, if you can get 80% of it there, you're good. There's all different interpretations of the 80, 20 rule, or you, or you take 20% of your best work to give the 80% outcome that you're looking for from the event. Cause I mean, for everyone here, everyone's busy. You know, people are now trying to figure out how to do virtual events quickly or more often, like you said, cause there's flexibility to do them longer, to do them more frequent versus one really big event. So that's almost like a webinar. Even webinars take a lot of prep time. They do. They do. So if you want to do a virtual event multiple times a year, because you want to optimize on the the frequency and a quantity of people, it does take time, but it doesn't have to be perfect. No, it, it just needs to be a good user experience and things just have to work, make it easy for users to find it 
they don't need things to look super beautiful, but they just need it to look okay so that they have a good experience. More so technical difficulties, right? Like, I mean, if you were to prioritize, Julie, like, what do you feel are the priorities like when it comes to just like what you should focus on? Oh, navigation. Like, how easy is it for the layman, the person that doesn't do virtual events all day? How easy is it for them to navigate the event? If it's difficult for them, you're dead in the water. It's the equivalent of having an in-person event and nobody can find the door. Like, (laughs) that's the problem. So you definitely want to make sure it's really easy to use. And then the second is that it's easy on the eyes and it's easy to digest. So making sure that it's not too busy of a platform. So again, it's very clearly labeled. It's got pleasing, gentle colors. All those things are important. And then your live content is delivered properly. It's clean. It's free of tech issues. I like to joke that you're only as good as your last buffer. There's nothing worse than that terrible buffer wheel when you're live and you just hope it clears up, you know? So all those things I think are much more important than getting really lost in the nitty gritty of, you know, I have some clients that spiral and it's like, but what happens if the person clicks on this and then clicks on this and then it brings them there. And I'm like, okay, nobody's going to do that. Let's refocus and then just make sure that when you enter, you know where you're supposed to go versus planning for the person that's going to click on everything. So just staying focused on those three things will make you have a great event. Well, thank you, Julie. This is a lot of information. I look forward to sharing this with the world. What's the best way for folks to get in touch with you if they have any other further questions? Sure. So they can visit our website at reven.consulting or they can send me an email at julie, J-U-L-I-E at reven.consulting. Always happy to chat with anybody regarding any virtual or hybrid event needs. Awesome. Thanks again for your time today. I'm looking forward to many more tips from what's happening as we are fully transitioning, but also embracing, you know, what virtual events are all about. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much, Tom. If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, please email me at podcast at or message me on LinkedIn.